Okay, who out there is, as we're getting started today, knows what it feels like to be truly appreciated? I mean, like truly, like somebody walks up to you and looks you in the eye and just says, you know, oh my word, that work that you did or who you are, or how you showed up in that situation, it meant this to me and here's why. And then that person walks away, man, you just feel like, I mean, you just feel like the world shifted a little bit, like in the right direction all of a sudden. And in this world, this remote working, teleworking, hybrid working, as employees are calling us back into the office, I think also the stress in the some of the damage that's been done in our relationships, even our families, our nonprofits, our churches, our you know family groups, uh, life groups, Every place where we interact with other humans this last year and a half has created uh, some stress. And that's why I asked my friend, Dr. Paul White, to come back on the podcast. Dr. White, welcome back. So excited to have you here today. Thanks. I'm glad to be back. So if you guys uh, remember, there's a book. It's called The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. It's based on the five love languages. You got together with the author of that book, Mr. Chapman, and, and you guys said, hey, how do I take this amazing resource and really translate it to be able to use? Because when my wife and I were going through some marriage struggles, it was the first book, uh, Five Love Languages, that my, our pastor, who was also kind of our marriage counselor, gave to us to read. Right. It was literally transformative. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody <laughs> out there, right? We're not live, but who knows what the five are? Yeah, they're already popping into your head, aren't they? Words of appreciation, gifts, acts of service, quality time. What's the other one? Because it's clearly the bottom of my five. Physical touch. Oh, no, that's my top. You think that would have popped right away? Okay. <laughs> well, I need more coffee. But there you go. Physical touch. Okay. Now, how do I bring all that into the workplace? Physical touch? Right. Right? Quality time. Uh, you know, words of affirmation I get. The other ones, a little bit maybe like intuitively. Right. But here's the thing. So episode, if you go back to eternalleadership.com forward slash 266, episode 266, you can hear all the foundations of the book. But here's what I wanted to talk about. First of all, just a quick update. Since you and I did our interview, you and you're in your team, the book has taken off. It is so neat right now. You guys, congratulations. You've crossed over half a million sold. Right. You have had over a quarter of a million people take the online assessment, which is motivating by appreciation inventory. You've had a thousand trainers become certified facilitators for your appreciation at work. Uh, one of my clients, I gave your book and they're, they bought the book for their entire company and they're all reading through it. And so anybody out there, if you want to grab a skill and bring it into your company. There are tools, there's training to apply what we're going to be talking about today. But I know, uh, Paul, you and your team, when COVID hit, you really dug in, you did some research looking at all these newly working from home employees. Right. How has this affected them? And uh, what your results were published in Psychology Today and in Training Magazine and what I really wanted to focus on today is what are some of the things that we can do around these five languages of appreciation as a, I think we continue to work remotely mm -hmm. with our team, with our families and things are, 
it is demonstrably harder to build relationships and trust in this virtual environment. I mean, you just can't do it on Zoom versus having lunch with a coworker. I mean, it's right. just different. Absolutely. Yep. Right. And we also, as leaders and managers and supervisors, we have a mix of people in the office, people at home. We might get mandates from our company to just tell people they got to start showing up for work again. I mean, there's a lot of change that's happening like right now. And so everybody, uh, Paul, this is what you do. This is what you live for is to help people with that exact situation. And you got tools to do it. So with that, I'd love to turn it over to you and maybe just even share some of maybe some of the things that you've observed and learned over the last year and a half. Sure. Thanks for your support and encouragement. Yeah, it is. It's an opportunity to serve. And so I'm thankful. My team, we're thankful for that because we want to help people, you know, have a better daily work-life experience versus just, you know, all the challenges that are there. So, you know, last spring when COVID hit in the spring of 2020, we did research because, you know, all of a sudden tens of millions of people were working from home and uh, life changes, you know, with kids at home for school and so forth. And so we, we looked at that and, you know, what are they concerned about and what was stressing them out and what was helping them. And, you know, sometimes I say, John, that, you know, psychologists, we sort of emphasize the obvious, but uh, one of the interesting things from our research there was that the people that were managing the stress well versus those who weren't, and from a self-reported kind of depression, anxiety kind of stuff, put some simple things into place. I mean, you know, they set boundaries on how much they watched sort of anxiety producing news. They continued to, you know, keep good sleep patterns. They would get at least moderate exercise. They would take time off to take breaks and do something fun for themselves. They tried to maintain, you know, a decent eating habits. And then a key part was keeping connected with their colleagues. And that's continued to be the case. We did another set of the research in the fall and sort of followed up with that. And then just recently published on, you know, did things change as far as what people wanted, as far as appreciation, whether they were working remotely or on site. And, um, you know, one of the interesting things is that people's appreciation language pretty much stays the same. I mean, it did not change whether they were working remotely or on site. And even we did sort of pre-COVID and during COVID. So it turns out to be a pretty core part of our personality. There's some circumstances that can change it temporarily, but it sort of bounces back. But interestingly, one of the things that we found that really makes a difference when you're trying to keep your team connected is came up with three Ps. One is you need to be proactive, right? Because you don't have those spontaneous interactions where you're walking down the hall and you pop your head into somebody's office and say, how's it going? Or you don't see them in the break room or coming in from work. You just don't have those opportunities when people are working remotely. So if you don't proactively reach out, it just sort of doesn't happen. And there are a lot of people that just feel, you know, sort of abandoned or isolated at least because of that. And a second key part about that, and this is true across all communicating appreciation, is that it's not just for supervisors and managers. Uh, man, that is such an important message for leaders to hear because you can't do it all. And in fact, your team doesn't want it all from you. They want to encourage one another. They want to support one another. They want it from one another, especially younger employees. You know, in the old days, there was a saying, you know, people don't leave a job, they leave a manager. That's less true, far less true than it used to be, that younger employees really value 
peer relationships, collegial relationships. And so if they're getting along and connected with their team, that can sort of smooth over any kind of chinks in their relationship with you or their supervisor. Yeah. Can I highlight that too? I have seen that exact shift, Paul. People used to leave a boss like that bad relationship. That is no longer true. They actually leave, uh, culture might be too broad, but guess what? Especially these, I think, younger workers, like I would say under 35, right? they might have a great boss, mm-hmm. but they might look at you and say, hey, you're working for this person and that wasn't fair. Right. I don't like the way you're treated. You know, Some of the stuff that you promised me up front six, nine months in is not exactly what I thought it was going to be. So they might have a good working relationship, but they're looking at the whole environment inside the organization. They're like, you know, maybe I can find something that just feels a little bit better. Right. And guess what? In this job environment, it's not hard. Right. And this came out in, I think it was from Indeed, mm-hmm. that currently 83% of employed people are open to or actively looking for another job. Now think about that. That means 17% of your employees, they're on board. Right. You got 80%. That is four out of five people. If somebody called them today and said, hey, you know what? You want to come work for an awesome place. We appreciate our people. It's not about the pay. People are moving and taking pay cuts, by the way. Mm -hmm. Pay is not the motivator for this generation. It's about being a place where they know they're doing meaningful work. They know they're valued. Somebody cares about them and is helping them to develop as a person in their job skills and as a leader, and that they actually are showing up with people that they actually like working with. That's, would you agree that those are some of the elements that people are looking for? I mean, we've got decades of research that show that people don't leave jobs for more money. In fact, one study sort of across corporations in the U.S. showed 82% of managers think people leave for more money, but only 12% of the employees said they're leaving for more money. Now they may get more money, but that's not the reason they're leaving. They're leaving because leaving a job takes a lot of emotional energy. And so it takes an emotional driver. So it's one of our studies shows that 79% of people who leave a job voluntarily cite a lack of appreciation as one of the key factors for them to leaving. So it's that emotional sort of trip switch that gets them going and said, I'm out of here. This is you know, isn't worth it. And so they move on. And it's a key part for this remote and hybrid working environment, because one of the things, again, we found is that people that were dealing with the stress well were connected with their peers. And one of the things that happens, I mean, our focus, just to remind that, you know, employee recognition is a good thing when it's designed well and implemented well. It's about acknowledging and rewarding good behaviors that you want to see, whether that's, you know, answering the phone cheerfully or reaching certain targets and goals and so forth. That's good. But we really emphasize that appreciation is about the person, that people, our employees are people. They're not just production units. But in a remote setting, most remote communication is structured, right? A Zoom call or, or, you know, a telephone call or whatever is about, you know, a budget, about a project or whatever. And that's fine, but we don't have those sort of five minutes before and afterwards where you touch base with somebody because you're still in the same room with them talking about things. And so if you don't proactively sort of set some opportunities for people to chat, and here's the key, we need to have personal interactions about what's going on with us personally, right? I mean, we've seen the impact of personal life on work and vice versa. And yeah, there's both cultural sort of 
standards and boundaries and personal boundaries. But if we only talk about, you know, how's that project going? Where are you at on this? Then they start to feel like it's just about production. You know, that's such a great point because, you know, I hadn't really thought about that, but it rings so true that, you know, I'm sitting here working at home and I have a project deadline and I have a question. So I, I shoot you an email or a text or we jump on a quick Teams or Zoom call. Right. And I need the data to kind of keep working. Right. And so what I'm hearing is communication has drifted toward being a lot more task oriented in the remote environment than it was when we were in person. Cause you just kind of naturally say, Hey Paul, how you doing? Right. Exactly. Right? And it's, okay. there's a couple of parts for leaders to remember. One is you don't want to just sort of ask them. It's, it can feel sort of like interrogation. You need to share some too about, Hey, you know, um, for example, you know, my wife and I had the opportunity to go, spend uh, the weekend with uh, some good friends at their lake cabin this weekend. So, and that, that was fun. We got to go boating and so forth. Or, you know, you know, your kids are back playing soccer or baseball, or, you know, what do you think about the, I don't know, either NBA playoffs or the soccer playoffs or whatever, just chat and share some because that sort of models it and also opens the door for them to say, yeah, you know, my kids are, you know, uh, playing t-ball, even though it's hot and all that kind of stuff. So there's both the the proactive asking questions, but also sharing so that it you're modeling and it's a two-way communication and relationship. And it's really important to have them have a sense that you care about them as a person, not just what they're getting done. Yeah. And well, and let me ask you this too. You said that it's not just coming from the supervisors and the managers, right? That needs to be a skill set that we build. And when we start there, right? Do you ever hear from supervisors and managers like, hey, this is kind of that soft skill. Is this really something we need to focus on? Do you ever hear, (laughs) do you ever kind of hear any pushback like that? Uh, always, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, that was like and a good attorney, right? You never there, there ask you a question. <laughs> thanks you for, don't know thanks the for the leading the question. There you go. Yeah. So I, I would love for you to like share, like for those people that are in like a defined yeah. leadership role in their organization, whether it's a church or a ministry or sure. a big company. Yeah. What so makes it, this so important right now? Yeah. So one of the things, and it sort of ties into misconceptions of appreciation. One is that it's not the same as employee recognition. Secondly, the goal of appreciation isn't really just to make people feel good or happy. I mean, that's nice and we'd like that to happen. But from a business and organizational leadership point of view, the issue is that we want to make a healthy, functional organization. And it's sort of like oil in a machine. You know, you got machines and uh, that you know, let's say an engine, a car engine or something, and it has metal parts and they work together, but without any oil, there's friction, there's heat, there's sparks, you know, and it just doesn't flow well. But appreciation is sort of like that. It helps the organization function better. And we've got all kinds of research. Chapter two of our book, 50 plus research citations that when team members feel valued, absenteeism goes down, uh, tardiness goes down, staff turnover goes down, customer service ratings go up. Productivity goes up, profitability goes up, fewer on the site job accidents, uh, less employee theft, managers enjoy their work more. I mean, there's all kinds yeah, there's of less positive sick things. Days, there's less burnout. Absolutely. I actually have yep. all the stats in front of me we could go through. But folks, if you want to affect literally your top and bottom line, yep. seriously, I you don't have to look much further than what we are talking about right now. I really think that 
this is my opinion that this the relational dynamic of our culture is the hard skill for having a successful company in this environment right now. Mm-hmm. And part of it is the hybrid and remote nature. Part of it, to be honest, is you know different values and perspectives of different generations. I mean, I've had leaders and uh, employers say, hey, you know, I pay them, that's our appreciation. And I say, hey, that's fine, that's the way we do it. I had a, uh, a medical leader tell me that, and she happened to have the highest turnover rate of any department in the hospital. Uh, because, you know, you can approach it that way, but there's natural consequences to it. And, you know, should we have to show appreciation? I don't know. In some ways, I don't care about whether we should. The fact is it works well. And as followers of Christ, you know, when we think about being made in the image of God, and you have to be careful about this, but, you know, we're made to worship God and affirm his value. And that's really what appreciation is. We're affirming the value of somebody. And I think we value and appreciate that when it's, you know, done in a uh, moderate, you know, appropriate way. But it's good to be thankful for the people that you work with. In fact, I think a place to start is who are those people that if they didn't do what they do, your work would be a lot tougher. You need to make sure that you show them that you observe that and acknowledge that. Otherwise, you know, they're sort of on the trading block. You know, when I say, okay, I want to be more appreciative of people and, you know, really speak into some of these languages of appreciation at work, can some people misunderstand that versus, hey, affirming somebody versus maybe, you know, they just need feedback for the sake of feedback or, you know what, they should just do their job. Like, we're all here to do a job. Like, I think sometimes for older leaders, right? they're kind of in that mindset, like, you know, I show up and I work hard. I don't need people to tell me. So why should I have to tell all these exactly. other folks, right? Do you ever run across that dynamic? Absolutely. I mean, you hit on a, a key example I have. I was working with an inner city school principal and he said, you know, I don't really need to be told I'm appreciated. I, you know, I sort of motivate myself. And he was actually right because one of the other misconceptions is that appreciation isn't just about words. You know, we have over 275,000 people have taken our online assessment. So we got a decent set of data and over half of the workforce choose a different language than words as the main way they want to be shown appreciation. And so it was for this guy, it wasn't words. You could tell it to him and it sort of didn't matter. But if you hung out with him, he was a coach. You went to practice and sort of, you know, saw what he's doing. Man, he lit up and he'd tell you stories about this kid and that kid. And so it's, we've got to get, not only do it, but we have to communicate appreciation in the right language and actions. And that's where a lot of people miss the boat. It's not just about words. We know that there's a group of people that words are not only sort of not meaningful, they're negative. I mean, that they don't trust it. They've had a personal background where people have said things and not followed through on it, or really we're just blowing smoke at them. And so we emphasize it's got to be authentic and it needs to be in the way that is important to the recipient. And that's really the goal of our inventory. We allow team members, and it's not just the leaders to communicate, but all the team find out what their languages are and in the actions. And that's, let me give an example of the uh, the importance of the actions. So quality time is one of the, the languages. For some people, they do want individual time with their supervisor and manager, either just because they feel valued that, you know, this person is sharing one of their most important resources, their time, or be able to share some observations or get input. But like we were talking, for a number of younger people, 
I've had people say, I don't really want time with my supervisor. They're sort of intense. I'm sort of shy, but I love hanging out with my peers and my colleagues. They like to go out to lunch or go out afterwards or get together on the weekends. And so you have to find out the right action. And then when you do, it doesn't take a whole lot. You know, usually if you get the right action, you're sort of hitting the target and they're good to go. It's not like you have to do this every day or every week even. So it's important to get the right language and action and encourage one another, I mean, your team members to find out, and we have charts and ways to sort of implement that along with training so that it's not all falling on on the supervisor. Yeah. And you know what, here's what I'd like to do is maybe, you know, people are listening like, okay, well, how do I figure out how somebody wants to be communicated with? What would actually make somebody feel you know, right. that they are affirmed and valued because we, you know, right. these different areas, right? Words is pretty clear, right? I'm, I'm using yeah. my words to communicate that message, you know, to affirm their character or what they did. I can do it in front of people. Right. I can do it one-on-one. I think it's important to kind of know we can do it, you know, written, mm-hmm. you know, just send them a, like a, a note, but quality time, right? Giving somebody that yeah. focused attention, Sometimes people, and sometimes they just like, like my wife is a twin and she just grew up, she likes doing things with another person versus by herself. So it could be as simple as sort of working on a project together or hanging out together. And so the way you find out, and this, it sounds a little self-serving, but this is, you know, if you ask somebody, you know, if I want to show you appreciation, how should I do it? That's a weird conversation in our culture. I mean, we just don't talk that way. And so, and pretty much all you're going to get is, I don't know, tell me thanks, you know? And so that's about all you get. And you, in personal relationship, you can sort of watch and observe what they do and so forth. In work settings, there aren't that many data points that you can watch somebody else communicating or receiving appreciation. And so that's why we actually, with our book, we give a free code for the inventory and also you can go and just buy codes, a group of codes for your team, because not everybody's going to want to read the book. We've got that and be able to take it. And it's really inexpensive. I mean, the basic version is just 15 bucks a person and it dials down a little bit for quantity. And then the more expanded version, which often focuses on specific settings, medical school, government, military, remote kinds of things is 25 bucks, but it's broader and really gets uh, to sort of more of the specifics. So that's the way that we found that works. And I think that's why it just continues to sort of expand because it's effective. Yeah, it is effective. Okay. So if everybody goes to appreciationatwork.com, the assessment that Paul is talking about is is that the best place to go find out? Yeah, absolutely. And right? it's the word at, not the at sign. So appreciation at work.com. Yep. Yeah, good point. It's appreciationatwork.com. Okay, but let's just, uh, all right. So people out there, right? We can also, I believe, uncover a lot of this by observing people, whether it's remote or in person, right? Do they, like we talked about quality time, maybe that one person just wants to spend time with you or acts of service. I've always thought of that in the work environment is, you know what, asking if I can help, making sure my own, when people really appreciate that I get my stuff done well and on time, I'm doing things with a good attitude. You can see certain people that just really resonate with that. There's a pushback that happens in a lot of our culture. And that is if you ask somebody if they need help, especially in the Midwest and upper Midwest, they're gonna say, no, I'm good. I mean, that's just sort of, we're just taught, you know, Mm. I'm response. So you sort of have to say, no, really, I've got some time. 
uh, you know, I got 30 minutes before I got to leave to pick up my kid or something, and I'd be glad to help out. A key aspect of that is you're not helping a low performing colleague, sort of, you're not rescuing them. The best example of that is when somebody is in a project, time oriented project, they're pushing to get it done and working hard. And what can you do to help make that better? It could be as simple as bringing them lunch. It could be holding their calls or taking their calls and or dealing with you know day-to-day emails for them so they can stay focused on the task. Or maybe they're willing to delegate it to you as long as they know you're going to do it the right way. So about 22% of the workforce have acts of service. So about one about every five people. Well, and you know, you bring up something important. When we go ask somebody, hey, can, how can I help? Mm-hmm. A lot of us don't want to say, yeah, please, can you uh, take all my emails? Right. Right. Because I really like this is a, I think it's really important. I did this going into COVID. I put a lot, instead of calling my clients, I called every client past and present. And I put a lot of thought into their world, what's going on, their industry, probably the challenge that they had. Mm -hmm. And I said, instead of just saying, hey, Paul, hey, how can I help? You guys are transitioning. Everything's happened. But I would be like, hey, Paul, I have a couple ideas for you. What if I did this or this? Would either of those to be really helpful as you're trying to accomplish that goal? Yeah. All of a sudden, now you get to focus their attention in because you know their world, you know their context, maybe like, hey, Paul, I just finished a huge project like you're working on right now. I know you're in the deadline. Why don't I do this for you? Would mm-hmm. that be helpful? I have a little bit of extra bandwidth. I could take something off your plate. And I really like the way you phrased it initially where it's this or this, because we're people of choice. God made us that way. And we function better when we you know, have a choice. And also that way it's A or B, not yes or no as far as can I help or not. And so giving them a couple of ideas and say, got a couple of ideas, but I'm open to others. You know, which of these would be most helpful to you? That's a great way to go into it. Yeah. And how would you determine, you said it's one in five people, that's 20%. So think of your team of five, that's definitely one of your people on team where this just would just really light them up. You know, the other one are gifts and physical touch, but if I had not taken the assessment what are some things that you would look for to kind of identify other than words? What are those languages of appreciation of others? Well, yeah, interesting. I mean, did some research that just 75% of the time we use the language that we value. So 25% of the time we don't. Physical touch is really low in the workplace. It's less than 1%. And let me just say from a, um, remote way, you know, people said, well, what, what physical touch, what is that remotely? It's really, there's some great research that shows that we really enjoy it when people are happy to see us. It creates a very positive response. So, you know, it's not physical touch, but when you greet somebody on Zoom or whatever, to just, you know, have a eye contact, smile and say, man, I'm really glad to see you again. I have I've missed talking to you. That is, you know, it's sort of a conceptual parallel. It's a little bit different, but on the others, you know, it's tough to observe it in the workplace. And so you can do it and, and, and partly you can, you know, make suggestions about it, but watch what they do. It's quality time, especially if they enjoy time with their peers, acts of service, to be honest, it's sort of a, a reverse kind of thing. You, Access to service people are very particular about the way they want things done. And so if you've got a really high sort of perfectionistic kind of person, they're typically, they like 
getting things done, but it's hard for them to hand it over unless they know you're going to do it the same way. Mm. It's not mm. the time to, you know, you try a different way say, Hey, why don't we try this? No, they got their own way. You do it their way. So that could be a clue and gifts, you know, I mean, it's the kind of person that brings in, you know, uh, donuts for people or, or, or coffee. Interestingly, only 6% of the workforce identify gifts as their main way that want to be shown appreciation. And so when you, you know, do sort of the reward recognition stuff, one of the things we know is when gifts are important to people, it's about them personally. If you get everybody the same thing, you have just wasted a bunch of money because it <laughs> that in and of itself just sort of says, you didn't really think about this. You just sort of got whatever. Now you can get everybody pizza and make sure that you get the kinds of pizza or donuts that certain people like. That's a way to individualize it. But if you just get everybody, you know, a mug with the company logo, it doesn't do much. Yeah, but if... Uh... Like, you know, I just did this, right? A friend of mine was explaining this really cool thing that happened in their life. And they had actually made a, like a graphic that they had put on Instagram about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I went to Canva and I pulled that image into Canva. And right there in Canva, you can actually print a custom mug. Yeah. And I had a mug made sent to them, especially with this thing on there, just to celebrate with them. It cost me 20 bucks. Yeah. And I got to tell you, man, they absolutely lit up over that. I mean, it's unique and it's special and it's personal. And the key word is that it was custom. It doesn't have to be much. I mean, it can be like, uh, you know, I'm a Chiefs fan. All right. So if you get me an NFL preseason, you know, magazine that focuses on the Chiefs, boom. You know, I mean, I cost you eight or nine bucks, but man, you know, I'm excited. I'm, and I appreciate you thinking about it, you know. And so it's that personal aspect that uh, really hits and it, it doesn't actually have to be a physical thing. I mean, it could be a link to a website or an article or some resource that they like as well. So, so key principle there, whatever you're doing, you have to make sure that it is something of value in the context of that person's world, not just something general for everybody. Like, Hey team, great job. Exactly. We're very different than been saying, Hey Mary, I really appreciate this. Hey, Bob, boom, you're calling specific things out that people maybe contributed for the success of the team. Exactly. One of the key things that differentiates recognition and people's response to it is they feel like it's pretty generic and not very genuine. To make verbal comments perceived as genuine, they need, we teach a three-step model. Use a person's name. And if you're writing it, make sure you spell their name correctly because there's a lot of different ways to spell Michelle or Amy or whatever. Secondly, be specific about what they've done or what they've demonstrated character-wise. And the third point is why it's important either to you, to the organization, or to your clientele. Because even though we think they know that, it's really important to specify that and say, man, thanks for getting your report done and in on time, Stephanie, for me. Because that way I can, it helps me have some time to sort of digest it and turn it around to you know my supervisor and not feel stressed about it. Yeah. Now, let me, I want to share a couple things with you as I've brought this in because everybody out there listening, if you're a, if you're a coach, this is a resource you should be sharing with your clients. I do. It's a book that during the course of the work, I work with a client I bring into the teams that I work with. Uh, So Paul, I really appreciate the work you've done because this has been a life effort to create healthier relationships and organizations. And you know what? I, 
it's one of my, I think, core beliefs that all of us deserve a great boss. Hmm. That's you know, somebody that cares about us, cares about me as a person. They're helping me to develop. They understand my life and my world that I, because you can't separate it when I bring it into work. Yep. And they're actually helping me uh, prosper in all the important areas of my life. I, I think we all deserve that kind of person to either work with or work for. But as I've actually seen people try or work to embrace this, Here's some of maybe the, I think, uh, maybe roadblocks or things that they describe. Okay. First one is, hey, this is a new habit for me. So mm-hmm. it feels a little bit weird. It's a little bit uncomfortable if I'm not naturally, let's say, an affirmer. Right. To like start in a meeting, just start affirming people or going up to people and say, hey, how can I help? Right. Or, you know, some of these other things. So, if that is where somebody is like, oh, wow, that feels to start incorporating this like a big change, how do you help people through that? Yeah, so that's a great question. And it goes along with the other piece that often is like, I'm busy. How, when am I going to find yes. time to do this? And so, you know, I'm a psychologist by training. We're supposed to know about behavior change, whether we do or not. I don't know. But, you know, when we're trying something new or different, it takes energy. And so the more that we can make a small step, easier, it's better. And so I I say, we're not trying to create a whole new set of habits. We're just trying to help you do what you're already doing or almost doing and change it a little bit because most of us are, you know, we'll check in on somebody or we'll send a note or ask if somebody needs help, but we don't do it in the right way in the right time for the right person. And so we waste a lot of time and energy. And we actually know that if you just start with the people right around you, the people that make a difference in your daily life, that's an easy start. You know, the other places, you know, key team member, you don't want to lose because of that risk factor of them leaving or the third group are just people that are discouraged, you know, that they, you see they're worn out and just a little something, give it a go. And I always say, start somewhere with someone, you know, and then you sort of learn. And it's like, you know, whether it's exercising or diet, you know, you figure out what sort of uh, works for you. And yeah, we have a chapter called dealing with the weirdness factor of, if you take your team through this, how do you do this in a way that, you know, people don't say, well, you're just doing this because we went through the training. I just say, hey, I know you think maybe I'm doing this because we did the training, but I really do appreciate when you X, Y, or Z. So just give it a go. Often words is easiest to start and doesn't have to be personal for introverts. Lots of times that's harder. So write it out on an email or text and you can sort of, you know, review it and then send it. Yeah. And here's something I've also found that helps Paul is, Sitting down with, like, let's say, a leader that I'm coaching, and we're casting actually a vision of, hey, what is this team right now? Here's where it's at today. But what would you love to be talking about in a year? What are the mm-hmm. dynamics that's developed in the team? Who are you as a leader? Let's say we did a 360 feedback a year from now. What would you love to see in those comments? Like, hey, I love coming to work. We know how to deal with conflict. We have great relationships. We are the team that's known in our entire company as the best team to work with. If somebody from that team gets assigned a project, everybody's like, Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think if you actually keep in mind your reason why or what you're trying to create, then some of these small steps like around appreciation that you're bringing in to create that outcome for me, then makes it a lot easier to focus on and kind of stick to as I'm, working at making some of these changes in my own behavior 
And you also talked about it, right? This can't just come from the supervisors and managers because when you, I've seen this over and over again, when the leader of a group, and that could be you as a peer on the team, you bring this into a team, mm -hmm. you have the ability, if you're even if you're a new employee, to actually influence the culture of your team by how you're showing up because it creates something attractive. Yeah, absolutely. And rarely do we start at the top. I mean, I've had a unique situation. We're dealing with the CEO of PepsiCo Global, and she's got the vision, but that's really, really rare. We usually come in the middle, either a, a supervisor or maybe a manager, or even a frontline worker that finds our stuff and introduces it to others, and then it sort of spreads that way. So you don't have to be at the top of the organization to bring this in and make a difference. The other thing, I love what you said about, you know, what do you want to be talking about? But a different way to look at that also is what do you not want to be dealing with a year from now? And here's what happens when people feel valued. There's less conflict over stupid little things like the size of their monitor or whether they got a window in their parking space. That stuff just flows away because when they feel valued, you know, it just sort of sheds off of them or uh, grumbling and complaining or negativity. And so, or people not showing up or not calling in or calling in too much sick, you know, so those kinds of things, if you think about how much more effective you can be focusing on the real work at hand when all those sort of secondary emotional, personal kinds of things float away, man, uh, you function well. Well, just think about this, just as like, if you guys want to do a quick ROI, when people don't trust each other, which leads to conflict and gossip and, you know, a, a less engagement and a lower quality of work. Mm -hmm. uh, this has been studied by Gallup and also by Barna, right. but the numbers that I have seen is that you, uh, it costs you about eight to 12 hours per week per person in productivity. Mm. So just think about this. What if you could actually get, have basically hire 20% more people without having to spend a dollar because you focus on bringing, you know, showing people they're valued they're appreciated, it builds trust, it builds relationships, that what that allows you to do, whether you're a peer or the boss, is now actually have a foundation where you can have some of those a little more challenging conversations. Maybe somebody knows where you're coming from, right? If Paul, if I know you have a good heart and you care about me and you give me some of that feedback that might be hard for me to hear, Right. It's going to be very received very differently if I think you're just being critical or you just want to get your stuff done so you look good. Totally exactly. changes the dynamic. Yep. Yeah. Now, one of the things just I know we're sort of close to the end of time here, but, you know, people say, well, you know, we got remote employees and hybrid. How does this work? Well, when COVID hit and actually before, because we were working with multinational organizations, we created a remote version of our inventory so that the actions, we found that the languages have the same pattern, but the actions different. I mean, how do you spend quality time with somebody remotely or how do you do active service? And so we created an inventory that actually brings that around and it's going well. I mean, it's fun. And we actually created a remote training version too for people that when they're, you know, they want to get their team to do this, but they're in different cities or countries or whatever, you, know, you can still help them apply it. Yeah, so now on the website, Appreciation at Work, which is spelled A-T, so appreciationatwork.com, there's a button for assess. Is there one that's specific? Because I have not taken, I'd like to, the remote one or have some of my clients take it. Where is that? Yeah, if you hit that, uh, in the assess button, 
and scroll down and you'll see uh, first says a basic version and then expanded versions and under expanded it has our different specific ones and there's a remote button there and it'll take you to the shopping cart page for that and you can get it. Ah, it's okay. So I see it now. It's at the bottom. Basic, medical, military, school, government, and remote long distance. Yep. So if you guys are looking for it, it's at the bottom under uh, purchase the uh, MBAI. But uh, there you go. All right. Well, hey, as we wrap up, you're doing amazing work. Any just final thoughts out there for just people listening? Kind of a final kind of call to action to bringing this into what we do, because this is something as soon as everybody hears this could, you know, uh, pull, you know, in the next meeting, make a small change. Sure, sure. You know, I guess one of the things, and I think it's relevant and will continue to be relevant, is that whole transition from mainly people working remotely or at home to some hybrid and on-site. And, you know, Tim Cook of Apple, you know, sort of pulled back. And the issue is this, it's not just that, you know, you miss people and we want to have a happy culture, yada, yada. But, and I wrote a a blog on this that you can get to from our website, but basically we've got to remember business-wise, we're here to serve our customers and clients. And we need to continue to exist as a company and be healthy to do that. And so the ultimate judge of whether somebody works remotely or not is what is needed for the customer. And it can be, you know, a hybrid and that, you know, the business leader has the right to make the decision of what they think is best for the company. And that also includes the long-term health because we know that, and that's why just working remotely isn't necessarily the best option either because we know that you've got to have connectedness and good communication. And that does work better on site than remotely. And so sort of, you know, having a balance there of not having everybody have to commute every day but, you know, come in at least, you know, whatever the frequency is so that you continue to have good team relationships. I think that's something important to remember. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Paul White, for coming on. You're welcome back anytime. And I would just encourage you guys to get in touch with uh, or a get the book and read it. Start there. Take the assessment. I've taken the assessment for our team. It's been just well, you know what? Even just taking the assessment, Paul, and then actually talking about it in a team meeting yep. was just a really powerful exercise. Uh, and I think the more we just get to know our folks, anything that we can bring in as a tool to create those conversations that deepens those relationships, yep. there is no downside. There might be for somebody that's super, super introverted and they're going to be uncomfortable. But generally speaking, I would agree. I think it's a good thing to do and you can do it at whatever level and intensity that works for you. So thanks for your support, John. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I love how you, uh, that was beautiful. You know, one of the things I, it's part of my language, it's been, I've been given feedback on is not talking in absolutes. In, right. right? <laughs> so, right. So, uh, how about this? There's a lot of upside and, and very limited downside. I think that is actually a better way to look at it. <laughs> but it also means that we really know our people like, hey, I know that one person would be uncomfortable. Right. So you could even have a chat with them beforehand. Like, hey, would you be okay if we did this as a team exercise? Absolutely. Just doing that shows them that you see them and you value you know, their personality without making their, maybe somebody who is that introverted, doesn't uncomfortable with that, making them wrong. They might say, yeah, I really, uh, (laughs) boy, can I? (laughs) 
<laughs> so anyway, that, that was just, that was, uh, I really like how you did that. That was great. Okay, cool. So uh, my friend, appreciate you. Keep up the great work and uh, keep knocking them alive out there. All right. Thanks so much. 